This is Ryan Bell from Year Without God. And listen, folks, please, please, I implore you, never, ever listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This 141st episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore, and sitting gracefully, eagerly across from me, my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Yes, I'm graceful now that I don't have a bug flying around the room. <laughs> You're a nut. You have an irrational fear right. of all things crawling. Right, right. It's irrational because I just had bites on my legs for two weeks. <laughs> and something was flying around this room that looked like a mosquito. No, it's not even just the crawly. that You, you have, I, I wouldn't say a fear, but you have... Things that are normal occurrences in like having a baby is something that kind of oogs you out. Yes. And yes, my best friend Katie <laughs> just had a baby. And <laughs> you see how I got you off the bugs just like that? Yes. She she's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful baby. But yeah, I I do not like the idea of Well, there, there's that video that we just watched that's been circulating the tubes. And it's a, a couple, and they're driving. She's in oh, labor, yeah. <laughs> and sh- they're driving to the hospital, presumably the hospital. Even though they were driving for 45 minutes. Yeah, and also, he's a little fucking calm, for yeah. my taste, yeah. for a father or a soon-to-be father. And they're driving along, and she gives birth to this giant goddamn baby. It's a 10-pound baby. Yeah, in... Oh, was it 10 pounds? That's what the article said. Oh, yeah, it looked like it was 10 pounds. Yeah. And she gives birth... And she still had her sweatpants on or her, her stretchy pants or whatever <laughs> yeah. they are. She had to like make haste to get them <laughs> down around her knees. Yeah. Because this kid was shooting out of her yeah. <laughs> while they're driving in the minivan. Yes. On so, the road. Had the baby. I don't know how we got there. Well, it was I was uncontrollably laughing while watching this video because I was just uncomfortable um, because the whole labor thing freaks me out. But I'm I'm so excited for Katie. She's had this baby and it's... It's uh, beautiful to hear her talk about it and to see the pictures of the baby. And it's kind well, of... A, it is a beautiful thing because you you grow this being inside of you right. for nine or ten months. Right. And then, you know, it's it's there. You have this connection. And then when it finally comes out, you get to meet right. this little alien that you've been growing inside of you. I mean, it yes. is a... It's that when you really break it down, it's like thinking about a word and you say the word over and over. It uh, It's like, oh, that word sounds weird now that I've said it a bunch of times. Well, For me, the concept of growing another human being inside of you, it's kind of like that. When you really think about it. It's insane. Yeah, it's super weird. Yeah, so Katie's awesome for having done that. But it's been causing me to reflect on the last time I had to really deal with a child, which yeah. was in, I mean, a baby, when I had to care for, like, a baby. And my siblings, I cared for them when they were babies. And then well, I... Didn't you, didn't you also do one of those things in school where you, you have to tote around the 
Right. I think we did like a, a bag of flour or maybe an egg with the face written on it. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense. Well, I went to a small school with not a giant budget for okay. a little mini baby with a computer chip. Because if you drop the egg, you can just go buy a new egg and they all look the well, same. Well, there was some kind of an anti-counterfeit system that our that our uh, teacher Okay, you put just in said place. smiley face written with a Sharpie. <laughs> so I don't think that's a very good counterfeit well, system. Well, it, it in retrospect, it probably wasn't. In fact, I, I seem to remember some sort of plan that I had in the event that the egg or the sack of flour was broken. And I don't even... Look, who the fuck... Do, I don't know. I don't even remember what it was. But So you did do that. So you have had some baby-ish experience since your siblings. Right. So I took this baby home for a child development class in high school. And it was one of those with the computer chip in it. So it would come alive and start crying. And you would have to care for it. You'd have to figure out what it needed by trying different things. It had like a tape recorder inside of it or something, right? That would play the crying? Yeah. I don't know what it had, but it was terrible when it would start crying. (laughs) And so you had to either rock it or feed it or burp it or or do something. muffle its mouth with your hand. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're getting to right now. So I I had to go to work, okay, the weekend that I had that had this baby. And my shifts at work were usually 4 p.m. to midnight or later. Right. So I was going to be at work for a pretty long time. And so I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, uh, I have this baby that I have to take care of. And... You have raised four babies, so you think you could help me out and just watch this baby for a couple hours. Logic would follow that she would have a, some sort of skill set just out of force of habit. <laughs> yes. And so I left and I started working and I didn't get back to my phone until, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. And I get to my phone, open it, and there are, you know, like 30 missed calls, several voicemails, several text messages. I mean... Did the baby come alive and try to murder the family? <laughs> what happened? You would think so, no. But And then I listened to a couple of the voicemails. She's just screaming into the phone, you better come home and take care of this. I can't handle it. It won't stop crying. Um, okay. It's just a toy. Like, if you play with it, it will stop eventually. So I got home. And she had put it up on a shelf in the garage and covered it with a bunch of blankets. And it was still crying. For hours, huh? Yes, yes. And so I was... Didn't, the batteries didn't run out. And no. It didn't die. No. And I was furious. Like, I'm going to fail this class yeah, because this of you. Yeah, this is for a grade. Yeah. But I ended up getting an A. So <laughs> apparently it's broken or you can just put the baby up on the shelf. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an appropriate I, way to care for the child. I think that's the message to take away from it, that it's okay to wrap your baby in a blanket and stick it on a shelf in the garage if it happens to start crying. Yeah. Or at least in your school district, <laughs> that is okay. Yeah. Dangerous. I would say. And also very high tech. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we want to definitely say congratulations to loyal listener and happens to be your best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> happens to be for over a decade. No, I'm just, it, I was making a joke about being a loyal listener. Oh, right, right. Thanks for just stepping all over my joke. You know, that's Very what I do. Good. That that's is, what I do. That is what you do. Yeah. For all of the new listeners <laughs> checking us out. You just got a glimpse into exactly how this works. Mm -hmm. I try to make a failed joke, (laughs) and when it doesn't land exactly like I think it will, Brittany (laughs) just steamrolls right over it with her certain sense of 
of reality. Yeah. It didn't work for you, so ah, you just well, kind of... I just want to make sure that you know. Yeah. Well, I, you want to make sure the audience knows, too. That is good. Let's move on with a little bit of follow-up. We have covered the the great man, the great American, America's dad, Bill Cosby, with what seems like regularity on this show. No, no, we don't answer that. And up to this point, it has been kind of conjecture and just having the preponderance of the evidence, the piles and mountains and mountains of circumstantial evidence lead us to the conclusion that it is more than likely that Bill Cosby raped with the assistance of roofies or uh, quaaludes many, many women. Over two dozen women have come forward and accused Bill Cosby of this. Now, there have been lots of people who have, they say, wait until we have the evidence. No one can prove it. You weren't there. We don't know. And I think those types of people just aren't looking at the totality of the situation. Well, now it seems as though we have some hard and fast evidence from the mouth of Bill Cosby himself relative to admitting that this is the case. Right. So the New York Times on Saturday got its hands on the 2005 and 2006 depositions related to the accusations of molestation from Andrea Constant. And now all these news agencies are reading through all of those documents. Yeah. And it's a lot. And they're combing through it. And so Time published this article about the things that they learned. So in the questioning, Cosby has denied allegations of assault, but he admits to other things. And for example, one of them, we've talked about this before, but Cosby obtained seven Quaalude prescriptions. Wow. The deposition provides new details about how Cosby obtained the drug Quaaludes, which functions as a sedative. Cosby said in the deposition that he told a Los Angeles doctor that he wanted the drug for back pain, but he assumed the doctor knew that he actually wanted to use it for other purposes. <laughs> Quote, he just assumed that the doctor was on the wink, wink, up and up. Yeah, right? apparently people often complain about back pain, and that's just code to the doctor for, <laughs> uh, I need to use this to harm people. God so, damn. quote, quaaludes happened to be the drug that kids, young people were using to party with. And there were times when I wanted to have them just in case. Asked how he used them, Cosby said that he never took one himself and instead offered them the same way that a person would have a drink. Mm, mm -hmm. The same way that someone would say, hey, can I get you a drink? He would say, hey, uh, take this pill. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then I'll meet you in 20 minutes. Except for the fact that many of the accounts, many of the, the accusations that have been leveled against Mr. Cosby have been accounts of him spiking their drink with the quaalude not oh hey here's a funny little pill you should take this zaba duba zaba he <laughs> would actually mix it in crunch it down and mix it in the drink surreptitiously crunching it down crunching it down <laughs> okay. so what else does time have to say that he made light of the accusations even in a deposition where cosby theoretically had something to lose the comedian couldn't help but make light of the situation in one moment costan's lawyer told cosby quote i think you're making light of a very serious situation cosby agreed that may very well be Wow, and that's it? What yeah. An arrogant fuck. So he, even during this very serious trial that he's having, right. he's just being arrogant. 
I think he's one of he strikes me as a guy and I've thought about this and this might not be PC this this might be oh I can't believe that he's admitted that he's admit I'm talking about me right now I can't the audience thinking of me god damn I'm really over explaining this <laughs> well l- let me just put it this way I have thought to myself I wonder if he's gonna kill himself because of oh shit everyone hates me I better just fucking do do away with myself and I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's the type of guy who feels justified that he had a right to violate them sexually because I'm Bill Cosby. I'm America's dad. I get what I want. And evidently, that's kind of the theme when you read this whole thing. That's what many news outlets have been saying is yeah. that he used his power and his position to lure women and to behave this way yeah so another aspect of this is that he used personal details to lure women kind of what we're talking about cosby admitted to discussing personal details of women's lives in hopes they would sleep with him in one case he discussed the cancer treatment of a woman's father asked if he asked her those questions because he wanted to have sexual contact with her cosby replied yes uh so he just pretended to care about this woman's father having cancer because yeah. he wanted to create a connection with her to eventually have sex with her. And he just admitted that. Yes. He is, he's a, seriously a creepy ass, creep ass creeper. Just a creep. And then finally, <laughs> Cosby put a lot of effort into hiding his affairs from his wife. Shocker. Cosby provided women with financial assistance in hopes of winning their silence. Doing that often involved a number of tactics to keep his wife from becoming suspicious. In at least one case, Cosby had his agency, the William Morris Agency, cut a check to a woman he allegedly drugged. Cosby then reimbursed the agency. Asked who he hoped to prevent from knowing about the payment, Cosby replied, Mrs. Cosby. Of course. Well, I mean, he that's his gravy train relative to a relationship. You know, he can't rape and drug his wife. Well, and she's still standing by him. Of course, yeah. Well, before, here's the thing. It's before Camille, Camille, his wife, it, the line coming from the family, the line coming from the representatives of the Cosby camp, it was, there were no drugs, there was no sex. Now that details from depositions have come forward where he has admitted to drugging with the intention of having sex with women, now it is, and this is even from Camille, it is, yes, there was drugs, yes, there was sex, but the women wanted the drugs and the women wanted the sex. So when do the lies, I mean, it's going to be them devolving until there's no way to back out of it that, yes, he drugged and raped women. Well, I mean, it's really heartbreaking. And serial rape, serially raped women. We're not talking about, and it would be terrible if it was just one woman. I'm not making light of that. But this could be 30 women. This could be, who knows how many women. Maybe there's women out there, and this is obviously just speculation, but... It wouldn't be beyond imagination that there's women out there who killed themselves in the aftermath of the trauma of a brutal rape. So what's disturbing to me is that Camille Cosby, who has been victimized by her husband. Yes. And now it's publicly out there that he has been victimizing her for years. Right. Doing this behind her back, trying to hide it from her. 
all of this stuff and she's coming out and defending him. She feels the need to defend him. I mean, I almost, I feel sad by that. It makes me feel sad because I wonder what's going on there. Well, it's, I mean, it's only speculation. You can only speculate. We don't know them, but they've been married for what, 60 years. It's all she knows. It's not like she can go out and get a job at JC Penney's. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's certainly sad, but it's also her defending him and make it, it, it makes light of the terrible acts that he likely did. And she's complicit. She's an accessory after the fact, as far as I'm concerned. If she continues to defend the monster to whom she's married. So we will wait and see what comes of this because the media is digging feverishly into these depositions. They're trying to get access through Freedom of Information Act, other cases, and uh, I think there's more to come. It's not just this. There will be a lots more in the coming days. Also, this last week, Caitlyn Jenner was at the ESPYs, uh, an award show that ESPN, the sports network, puts on, and she received the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. This is an award that is given at the ESPYs, and there was a lot. It's so it's one of those deals where after an event like this, the lesser evolved, the lesser thinkers amongst us uh, start posting memes on Facebook comparing two things that don't need to be compared. Did you see these memes, Brittany? Like the, uh, oh, Caitlyn Jenner gets a Courage Award. What about the soldiers? They're brave. They have courage. It's, right. This isn't a military award. This is a sports award from a sports reporting agency. Right. There's also been notable people that have criticized it. So Peter Berg, who is evidently a producer on Friday Night Lights. He's a director. He used to be on the show. Um, that hospital show with Mandy Patinkin back in the day. Anyway. <laughs> I I can't think of the one that... Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. We tried to watch it. It's not Chicago Code. It's... Chicago Hope. Chicago Hope. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the keyword is you tried to get me to watch it. <laughs> Didn't watch it. Sorry, Peter Berg. All right. But Peter Berg shared this uh, Instagram picture. It was a meme and it didn't have a caption on it. But the photo said one man traded two legs for the freedom of the other to trade two balls for two boobs. Guess which man made the cover of Vanity Fair was praised for his courage by President Obama and is to be honored with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award by ESPN. And then, of course, it showed two soldiers and then Caitlyn Jenner. Right. So it's basically the same thing that you're talking about. But these these memes exist probably by the thousands at this point. Oh, yeah. And it's very disturbing because apparently there's one definition of courage. There's one person that can be courageous. There's just one. Absolutely. It's it's bizarre. It's it, these type of things and they're getting shared all over. There is a benefit to them being shared, though, because it does identify the people in my particular timeline who are less evolved thinkers, I believe. Because you don't have to be. Just because Caitlyn Jenner did, and she did, display a certain level of courage, courageousness, um, it doesn't mean that it takes away from the uh, the courage or the bravery 
of the United States military and the the wounded warriors who come home from the battlefield. They can also be courageous and in a completely different way. Yeah, um, evidently there was some push for Noah Galloway to receive the award. He's an athlete who lost an arm and a leg in war, and people felt he was somewhat more deserving. And then there was also Lauren Hill, who achieved her dream of playing college basketball before she died of brain cancer. No, I remember that last year, yeah. So there were some other contenders, I guess, for the award. And so people were angry that it went to Caitlyn Jenner. But like you're saying, I think it's this weird mentality of... How can we legitimately attack this without being perceived as bigoted? Yeah. And so the best way to do that is to, well, you're just sticking up for the military, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's your that's your catch all. That's your the blanket under which you can hide from any criticism. Oh, well, if you're talking about soldiers. If you're talking about Marines, if you're talking about the military and our brave warriors, then you could say whatever you want in whatever shitty way you want to. Right. And it's it's sick. Yes. It's it's terrible. Well, because multiple people can be brave. Multiple people can be courageous. And I saw someone say, you know, her speech, however you may feel about Caitlyn Jenner, which we know Jesse is not I don't like her. a fan generally just because of the connection to the Kardashian clan and the Kardashian name. Well, let me for, for new listeners and, you know, every day we have new people listening to the show. It's not that I, I have nothing bad to say relative to. Um, being transgendered. That's not the issue. In fact, I think in many ways, Caitlyn Jenner is absolutely brave to face the scrutiny and what would be certain hatred as she has from, from, from the public, right? from the lesser thinkers among us. However, there's got to be something wrong with her to be hooked up and connected to that goddamn Kardashian family. They're all terrible people. Vapid, horrible people. So... Just the connection to them makes me wonder what's going on. Right. <laughs> so, but- and, and, and sorry, but that's the other thing is you can have an opinion other than, oh, brave, brave hero, wonderful person has done nothing wrong, Christ like figure. I don't think that. She can be someone I'm not really a fan of and still be brave and has done something noble. And also doing something, yeah, you appreciate. Yeah. Which is, you know, when she gave her speech and being the prominent figure that she is, she's giving hope to other transgendered youth. Absolutely. And that's really a benefit. But I just want to give this quick update because apparently Peter Berg has updated his Instagram. Mm. So he put it up an update and it says, I have the utmost respect for Caitlyn Jenner and I am a strong supporter of equality and the rights of trans people everywhere. I also believe that we don't give enough attention to our courageous returning war veterans, many of whom have sacrificed their bodies and mental health for our country and our principles, principles that include the freedom to live the life you want to live without persecution or abuse. Hmm. So he respects Caitlyn Jenner. What was that meme again that he shared? What was the text on the meme that he shared? Are you referencing the two balls for two boobs thing? Yeah. That's yeah. really respectful. Yeah. That that had a real respectful tome to it. So <laughs> thanks, Peter Berg. We appreciate that well-crafted after-the-fact apology um, and affirmation of your respect and adoration for Caitlyn Jenner. Mm-hmm. Fucking jerk. All right, moving on.
Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. Yes, that was me, everybody. <laughs> I know that you were wondering, has she improved her accent since Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, Ronald Weasley? <laughs> yes, it's so much better than it wow. used to be. Yeah, that is not Brittany. <laughs> not at all. So this last week on Thursday, there was another tragic shooting at the hands of a maniac here in America. You can add Chattanooga, Tennessee to the growing list of cities that has faced this type of tragedy. Mohammed Yusuf Abdelaziz is the man, the maniac in this case, who killed four Marines and just yesterday they announced that a fifth sailor, a fifth member of the military, had succumbed to his injuries and died. Those victims are Marine Thomas Sullivan, Marine Skip Wells, Marine David Wyatt, Marine Carson Holmquist, and Sailor Randall Smith. The details are forthcoming. We're not sure. The investigation is underway. I'm sure the FBI is scrambling at a breakneck pace to get as much information into the background, into the family, into the whatever level of religiosity that this particular maniac found himself. But he was Muslim. He did travel to Jordan. And his friends did indicate that when he returned, he was a different person. We don't know. It absolutely is too early to tell any specific uh, motives for his actions yet. We don't know. Um, in the in the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath of of the shooting, when they found out who he was, the media, I don't want to even say the media. There are your your outlier media outlets like Western journalism or Western conservatism, you know, those types. But it even happened on Fox News that they reported that ISIS had preemptively tweeted, a tweet saying, hashtag Chattanooga, hashtag, oh, you know, oh, America, you're going to have a, uh, there's going to be a, a tragedy. What exactly was the tweet? Oh, American dogs, soon you will see wonders, hashtag Chattanooga, hashtag USA, hashtag ISIS. With a picture attached of the guy who you've seen in the videos beheading people with a knife pointing out. Right. So it was reported that this was tweeted out several hours before the shooting. And Sean Hannity, of course, jackass Sean Hannity, ran with it. He reported it on his program. He also appeared with Bill O'Reilly on his program and was spewing this. And it has now come out and been confirmed that it was total bullshit. And it actually started, okay, because of Pamela Geller. <laughs> Pamela Geller, the Draw Mohammed contest organizer, 
She's an anti-Islamic blogger. She has a motivation here to immediately launch the conversation in this direction. That's right. Which, and you know, let's be fair because we don't know yet. It very well may need to go in that direction, but we don't know. And like I say on the show all the time, you don't need to lie to further your cause, to further your particular agenda. Wait until the facts come out. Wait until the truth shows itself. And then your side, if it's true, if it's righteous, so to speak, it won't need lies. It could stand up on its own in the face of the truth. Right, because Abdul Aziz, they have not found any direct ties to a international right. terrorist organization. And he is from, he's a Kuwaiti-born Jordanian. So he has connections to that area that he traveled to, right, and spent months there. Yeah. But they're looking into his trip still because people travel to that area to become radicalized as well. Well, the other thing is that they have pinpointed a blog that is apparently his blog. And the FBI, again, is looking more deeply and more intricately into this to confirm it. But that was saying some troubling things relative to his religious ideology. Right. There's no overt call to violence, but he mentioned jihad in a post about the Sahaba and the companions of the Prophet Muhammad. A peace be upon him. Yeah, so he ended one of his blogs saying, Brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by your desires. This life is short and bitter, and the opportunity to submit to Allah may pass you. Take his word as your light and code, and do not let other prisoners, whether they are so-called scholars or even your family members, divert you from the truth. If you make the intention to follow Allah's way 100% and put your desires aside, Allah will guide you to what is right. Um, None of that comes across to me as oh yeah that guy he was on a he was hell bent to shoot some people no he was just he was from a conservative muslim family right a, a devout i've heard them described as devout but not radicalized um so we'll see we'll see i've also heard reports that he suffered from depression right his family issued a statement and said that he suffered from depression, quote, for many years, our son suffered from depression. It grieves us beyond belief to know that his pain found its expression in this heinous act of violence. Yeah, they seem to be lament, obviously lamenting, but, you know, uh, grieving with the victim's families, too. It, it, this is another instance where good people are coming together to memorialize. I, I almost said, you know, commemorate or celebrate, but... They're really, you know, they're they're grieving together because th the parents didn't have anything to do with the shooting. No. So they're, in a way, they're also victims. Right. So it's just, it's a sad time. Um, I My heart goes out to the citizens of, of, of Chattanooga, Tennessee. No city would, would, uh, would, would want for this. No city asks for this type of notoriety and... It's uh, it's very sad. I mean, having served in the United States Marine Corps, I it is kind of a it hits home with me that you know the Marine Corps of all the services is very very small. It is a brotherhood. I can disagree with many members, many of of the the, the men and women with with whom I served. However, they're still my brothers. There's a family, a very tight knit camaraderie there, and I hate to see. 
you know these these four and now a fifth uh, sailor uh, go like this. It's uh, very very sad. Right. So more to come on that. I'm sure. Um, only time will tell. And don't believe tweets from Pamela Geller. Yeah. I think is the moral of the story. She's really a maniac. She she she's a terrible terrible person. And we'll we'll leave it at that. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Donald Trump won't quit, can't quit, just won't quit. He, <laughs> goddamn, he's a maniac, and he may have just dug his grave politically because he is so inept at the political process and understanding who his base was or is at this point still that he opened up his mouth and said something wildly averse to the the mantra that his particular flavor of politics and uh, his audience, what they want to hear. In a sit-down interview this last week, Donald Trump went after... See, here's the thing about Donald Trump. Goddamn. Donald Trump is going after not just members of his own party, not just members of the opposite party, not just candidates, fellow candidates who are also running for president. He's he's also going after people who were previous candidates for president, who aren't candidates now, who aren't in the race, who there's no need to go after. He's just, he's in attack mode of everyone. Well, on stage, he had this to say when asked about John McCain and his war record. John McCain, a war hero, five and a half years as a POW, and you call him a dummy. Is that appropriate in running for president? Okay. Uh, let's, you gotta let me speak though, Frank, because you right. interrupt all the time, okay? 15,000 people showed up to hear me speak, bigger than anybody, and everybody knows it. Uh. A beautiful day with incredible people that were wonderful, great Americans, I will tell you. John McCain goes, Oh, boy, Trump makes my life difficult. He had 15,000 crazies show up. Crazies. He called them all crazy. I said, they weren't crazy. They were great Americans. These people, if you would have seen these people, you, I know what a crazy is. I know all about crazies. <laughs> these weren't crazy. So he insulted me, and he insulted everybody in that room. He's not a, a war He's hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. Five and a half years. He's a, a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you He's agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured. Okay? You can have, and I believe perhaps he's a war hero, but, but right now he said some very bad things about a lot of people. Wow. I mean, when he said this, and you can even hear the rumblings in the crowd, he has, go, he has since said that, oh, it was all just applause and laughter. Everybody was on his side because, you know, he always says, everybody loves me. They love me. Ah, they love me. Right. So I think he's really... I think he may be coming around to realize that he fucked himself here. Yeah. So should we just review what happened to McCain really quick? Uh, yes. I want to both review what happened to McCain. And then I want to talk about, I tell you what, let's do that. Let's just talk about what happened to McCain to make him in the eyes of Donald Trump, not a war hero. 
McCain was born to a naval officer father on a military base, and in 1967, the then naval lieutenant commander was severely injured trying to rescue a fellow officer during the USS Forrestal fire. While flying his 22nd bombing mission during the Vietnam War, he was shot down over Hanoi, resulting in two broken arms and a broken leg, and was imprisoned in the Hanoi Hilton. He was a prisoner of war for five and a half years, and during this time was not only subjected to brutal torture, but refused to be released unless all of his fellow soldiers were as well. Due to his time as a prisoner of war, his hair turned white, and he no longer possesses the ability to raise his arms above his head. While all this horrible shit was happening to John McCain, a man who volunteered to serve in the United States military, at the very moment that John McCain is in the Hanoi Hilton being tortured, Donald Trump is taking advantage of not one, not two, not three, not four, but five draft deferments, four student deferments, and one medical deferment to get out of the Vietnam War, get away from the draft. Donald Trump comes from a multimillionaire family. John McCain comes from a family of service and military veterans. Both John McCain's father and grandfather were famed Navy admirals. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be in the military to be noble. I don't believe that to be the case. However, for this pig, Donald Trump, to malign the service to our country and our military like he is, is sickening. Donald Trump who was afraid to go to war, to talk this way about John McCain, like him or hate him, Senator John McCain's war record stands on its own. I don't know, it just it's very shocking to me that we, we know he, he, he's, he flies off of the handle, he says stupid things, but to hear this come out of his mouth... He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. I like people who weren't captured, I hate to tell you. Well, it's also insulting to all the other prisoners of war that have ever existed. Right. Right, absolutely. It's not just John McCain that he's referring to then. He's saying that he likes people that weren't captured. Well, well, he's Okay. He, he's the type who throws around the word loser and very freely. Well, that's what was disturbing about the reaction in the crowd at the beginning of that clip is the person who is interviewing Donald Trump said, you called John McCain a dummy, and people started laughing. Uh, Donald Trump is a grown man calling someone a dummy. I mean, I haven't called someone a dummy since I was in, like, first grade. (laughs) You move on and you adopt better lingo, do you not? Yeah, no, it's it's bizarre to me. Uh, Well, so going further into the interview, after he happened to say this... I know what crazy is. I know all about crazies. We get it. We, I believe very strongly <laughs> that he knows about crazy. Yeah, he does. Uh, more proof, more evidence that Donald Trump is out of touch and doesn't understand the what drives 
what motivates the particular electorate to which he is trying to appeal. He had this to say about God and forgiveness. So we've got people lined up for questions. I just got one more, because you used the word Christian. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? That's a tough question. I, I don't think in terms of, I have, I'm, I'm a religious person. Shockingly, because people are so shocked when they find this out. Uh, I'm Protestant. I'm Presbyterian. And I go to church and I love God and I love my church. And Norman Vincent Peale, the great Norman Vincent Peale was my pastor. The power of positive thinking. Everybody's heard of Norman Vincent Peale. He was so great. He would give a sermon you never wanted to leave. Sometimes we have sermons and every once in a while we think about leaving a little early, right? Even though we're Christian. <laughs> Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, Frank, would give a, survey, would give a sermon I'm telling you, I still remember his sermons. It was unbelievable. And what he would do is he'd bring real-life situations, modern-day situations, into the sermon. And you could listen to him all day long. When you left the church, you were disappointed that it was over. He was the greatest guy. And then, you know, he passed away, but he was a great... The, the, he wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, which is but, a great book. But have you ever asked God for forgiveness? <laughs> he almost got away with it. I'm not sure I have. I just go and try and do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think I, if, I, if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. Now, when I take, you know, when we go in church and, and when I drink my little wine, which is about the only wine I drink, and have my little cracker, I guess that's a form of asking for forgiveness. And I do that as often as possible because I feel cleansed, okay? He is not talking like a religious person. Not at all. When I have my little sip of wine and I have my little cracker, I mean, that is not how people talk about those items. It also smacks of disrespect for the, the pageantry and the ceremony and the serious sacrament. People take that very seriously. It's not your little cracker and your little wine. No, it's the body and the blood. That's right. Yeah. Well, he's not Catholic, so he doesn't believe... By doctrine, he doesn't believe that when he eats the, the the cracker that it physically changes into the the flesh of Jesus Christ. Right, but but the idea is still that but it it's, is. It's a very momentous and so serious, yes. serious religious uh, ceremony. Right now, is this his narcissism? He can't even admit that he asks God for forgiveness. It's like who oh, yeah. who do I have to answer to? I don't answer to anybody. Absolutely, <laughs> that's what it is. And then here's the other thing, is. He really, he's getting very skilled at doing that politician thing where he gives this long answer mm -hmm. without answering the question. Right. And whoever this interviewer is did a good job of saying, well, yeah, that's great, everything you just said, but have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Right. It was awesome. So we will see what comes of this. I would predict, my prediction would be, his popularity is going to start to wane because of moments like this. Because the more he has to come and try to backtrack, although he's not backtracking on the McCain thing, he's he's sticking to his guns on that. Right. He has said that he will not apologize and that if you go back and read what he said, he has nothing to apologize for. And that's even after many of the presidential candidates have come out and condemned what he said. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the different reactions, because let's start off with the only person in the Republican field that is still 
S-ing on Donald Trump's D, and that's the crazy ass Ted Cruz. Yeah, so Ted Cruz said, quote, I recognize that folks in the press love to see Republican on Republican violence, so you want me to say something bad about Donald Trump or bad about John McCain or bad about anyone else. I'm not going to do it. John McCain is a friend of mine. I respect and admire him. I'm trying to think, do. I'm I, trying I, to do a Ted yeah, Cruz I, voice. I it's not mean, working. I think you mean. Yeah, John McCain is a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I respect and admire him, and he's an American hero. And Donald Trump is a friend of mine, so he is not wanting to give an opinion. Right is basically what he's saying. Sure, sure. So let's 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 roll through uh, some of the people who gave statements. Uh, kind of rapid fire. Rick Perry, Donald Trump should apologize immediately for attacking Senator McCain and all veterans who have protected and served our country. As a veteran and an American, I respect Senator McCain because he volunteered to serve his country. I cannot say the same of Mr. Trump. His comments have reached a new low in American politics. His attack on veterans make him unfit to be commander in chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, and he should immediately withdraw from the race. Yeah, so just an outright call for him to quit. Yes. Jeb Bush. Enough with the slanderous attacks. Senator John McCain and all our veterans, particularly prisoners of war, have earned our respect and admiration. Scott Walker, who has previously refused to speak ill of Trump, said he needs to apologize to Senator McCain and all the other men and women who have worn the uniform. It's just a disgrace. Wow. Marco Rubio, America's prisoners of war deserve much better than to have their service questioned by the offensive rantings of Donald Trump. <laughs> And the Republican National Committee also criticized Trump and defended McCain. Senator McCain is an American hero because he served his country and sacrificed more than most can imagine. There is no place in our party or our country for comments that disparage those who have served honorably. And Mitt Romney threw a comment in there, even though he's not in the race. The difference between Senator John McCain and Donald Trump, Trump shot himself down. McCain and American veterans are true heroes. Yeah. Well, good. It's it's good that they're rallying behind John McCain. You know, we have other other members of our of the government who have served. John Kerry has served. There are several, and whether you agree with them or not politically doesn't take away from their service and their sacrifice. So, one more thing on Donald Trump, and then we'll get off of it. I want to point to the fact that he is in this weird cornered animal mode, even though he's the front runner. It's an odd position to take, an odd behavior to exhibit, acting like you're a cornered animal and lashing out. Because he's not just lashing out at John McCain, like I said. He's not just lashing out at his fellow running mates. He's lashing out at the likes of, like, Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette appeared on the Opie radio show with Jim Norton and they got to talking about the tweets that were coming out just even a half hour before Penn was in studio. Donald Trump, I hear Penn Jillette's uh, show on Broadway is terrible. Not true. Uh, not surprised. Boring guy. Boring guy Penn. Without The Apprentice show would have died long ago. Penn <laughs> Jillette is... Is far from he, boring. Trump's no. a little delusional. I think he realized he fucked up with El Chapo, so he's going after somebody who won't hunt him down and burn him alive. <laughs> uh, there, is, there is a very good reason for that. I know. Let me read the other tweet, and then let's uh, get, yeah. To, yeah, get to that. I loved firing goofball atheist Penn, Penn Jillette on The Apprentice. He never had a chance. Wrote letter to me begging for forgiveness. 
That's what Trump is saying. Uh, oh, wow. Only a half hour ago. <laughs> what happened? I, I had seen the last he one. He calls this show. I mean, maybe we could, like, uh, you know, uh, figure this out between you two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the answer is very, very, very simple, which is uh, I've been asked a lot about his run for president. And I have said that, you know, um, what I feel about Donald Trump, who I really like, and it's very, very clear that of all the people who've been on Apprentice, I am the one who likes him the most. Uh, the stuff that people say about him that were on the show is just pure hate. And I really liked him. And actually, his son asked me, why do you like him so much? And I, because he was surprised, because, um, you know, he, he can be unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> but I really am very fond of him. And still, with what you read, kind of <laughs> makes me like him more. Okay. Um, Has it hurt your feelings at all? Uh, sure. But I also like him. You know, you can have people that don't like you. That, and I also, also think he does like me. But, um... Uh, Thelonious Monk, you know, the great uh, jazz piano player, said, and it's not a well-known quotation, but I love it. He said, the genius is the one who is most like himself. And that's what I love about Bob Dylan, Lenny Bruce, Tiny Tim. They were completely like themselves. And Trump, for better or worse, is in that category. I have talked one-on-one with Bob Dylan, and I've talked one-on-one with Trump, and they do not have... Filters. They speak honestly and from the heart. Unfortunately, when you move into the political arena, when you're speaking from the heart, if your heart has some really dark, wrong areas and that comes out too, that becomes very, very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. When someone who's a comic says something about immigrants in this country, uh, it's in the category of 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 a character. It's in the category of context. But when a person who is telling us, we, we don't know how seriously he's really taking it, but let's pretend he's taking it. Let's give him the respect mm. saying he's taking it seriously. When he says that what I'm saying is going to have some policies um, uh, implications, then all of a sudden we have to be our better selves. Uh, it is perfectly okay for you to be personally a little uncomfortable with certain immigrants. Mm. It is not okay for our country to be that way. So if you say that to your friends or in a context of a radio show or just speaking, I will defend that. But if you say, now I'm going to take these prejudices that I have and say them in your name in the international arena, I've got to go, oh, oh baby. <laughs> you know, we, if you're going to be our spokesman, yeah. you've got to be better than you are personally. You've got to be better. And Trump. The very pettiness and the very honesty that I respect him for so much, if you're going to be president, we can't have that. You know, we're sure, we are absolutely positive that George Washington was a miserable prick. (laughs) But when he spoke, he spoke for all of us with a great conscience. And I'm not sure you want uh, a president who's taking shots at a carny performer. (laughs) You know know what I mean? You You didn't have... It's very clear that on some of the issues, Donald Trump hasn't done enough homework. He's not a stupid man. But there's a lot of homework to do. <laughs> you know, if you're running for president, every moment you're not speaking, you've got to be reading. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be reading everything. Educating and, yourself. Yeah, you've got to know everything. And also, when you go out there, you've got to be uh, the best of us. And I, I mean that on everything. I mean, it's the way I feel about capital punishment. People say all the time, um, 
But if your family, these monsters, don't you feel like they should be put to death? And the answer is, of course I feel that. But as a society, as a culture, we want to be better. You know, what we want out of the United States of America is we want to be better than we are individually. I want to be proud of our country because our country is better than me. You know, I don't want the guy that I'm going to have a beer with. He's just like me. If the guy's just like me, don't be fucking president. Right. You know, and I can talk to Donald Trump really comfortably. He's uh, he's really smart. He has a lot of interesting things to say. But I want somebody that's one notch up for president. I want a guy that I go, man, so good. Yeah, it's a beautiful point that I really haven't thought of. I mean, I feel that way. I definitely feel that way and agree, but I hadn't thought of it like that before. Well, he has just a beautiful way of making a succinct point and and kind of summing up what you 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 realize after he said it. You ah, that's the that is the way I feel, and he just put it in into words. So so awesome, right? And you've talked about how you had a friend or multiple friends who cried when Obama was elected. Yeah, and I think that Obama did tap into that in people. Sure, he made people believe. You know, this is someone that we have hope in, and yes. and we have faith in him, and he's better than us, and he's going to come and help us, and. Yeah, you don't feel that with Trump. Well, he, he he says something great about George Washington, who is revered in American history as being just a wonderful man, our greatest president. He set precedents that were followed up until, you know, FDR in the 1930s, in the 1940s, that he could have been this king figure. They debated what to call the president of the United States, whether it be his majesty, his highness, all these things. And he rejected all of that because he didn't want to be he he wanted to set up the office in the way that it is perceived today. Right. So he was a great man. But he makes a great point about the fact that he probably was a prick in a lot of ways. There are accounts of George Washington having no patience and being kind of an asshole. But in the execution of his duties, he was, as Penn would say, he was the best of us. He exhibited those traits. And to be president, you really need to be that. You need to display or exhibit traits that that encompass the best of us all. Right. Who, and and he, Donald Trump's certainly not doing that. Right. And even look at many of the candidates. Ted Cruz. Right. You want Ted Cruz to be representing us? Right. Rick Perry. You yeah. want Rick Perry to no, be representing us? Absolutely not. It's it's sickening. So we'll we'll get off the Trump thing for today. We will see. Hopefully my prediction comes true and his the support, the polling numbers and, and the support for him starts to erode over the course of the next week or two. But we'll see. So 538.com, the brainchild and project, I guess really not project anymore, they're legit, of Nate Silver, did an article this week on Chris Christie and talking about how he's at risk of missing the debates because he is so low in, in the polls. Right. So he's not polling very great. And 538 is still unsure of how Fox News is going to be using the polling data to determine who will be in the top 10. For instance, they don't know if they're rounding their polling numbers. So that is something that they are still unsure about. But right now it's looking like Jeb Bush at 15.4 percent. 
Donald Trump, 14.2%. Then you have Scott Walker, Rand Paul, Ben Carson, Marco Rubio, Mike Huckabee, Ted Cruz. And they have Chris Christie and Rick Santorum listed in the top 10. (laughs) But if they round the numbers, Rick Perry and John Kasich could be... Oh, okay. In the debate. Yeah. So you're looking at uh, Bobby Jindal, Carly Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, and George Pataki are, are being left pretty out. clearly out at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the debate is on August 6th, so there's still some time. Which, by the way, we're still trying to get an idea of some kind of uh, an audio setup we could do to record an episode where we could pause. Have the, I just need somebody techie to, to get in touch with me to talk about what exactly I want to do because we want to do whether it be a bonus episode for Patreon or just an episode we release to the the audience at large. We want to do something related to the debate. And since we're here, I'll talk about the phone number too, 657-464-7609. Let us know about that or anything else that we've talked about that you would like to join the conversation about. If you're voicemail averse, you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to hear from you. So Chris Christie is just a pull or two away from watching the first debate on TV, 538 <laughs> says, and that not appearing at this debate would cut out the heart of his reported strategy, which is to use the debates to showcase his tough guy persona. It would be yet another blow to the candidate whose stature has been slipping for a year and a half. I think that the tough guy persona might backfire him on him at this point because we've got enough tough guy from the aforementioned jackass Hairpiece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be too much of that. Right. So let's let's end the Dollamocracy segment with a little bit of talk about candidate endorsements and the money race. So 538 broke this down into a point system. So explain the point system so the audience can kind of get a grasp of it. We'll also put this on the Facebook page. And if you haven't subscribed, if you haven't uh, liked the Facebook page, go do it. And you can go check this out. I guess you could check it out without it, but God yeah. damn it, go like the Facebook page. Yeah. And <laughs> so explain it. Well, go ahead. 538's looking for people if they if they have forgotten an endorsement and you have been closely following all the endorsements that the candidates get from representatives, senators, and governors, <laughs> right. you can let 538 know. Right. Uh but so explain the point system and then we'll go through kind of quickly and uh, talk about how many points each person has. Okay, so representatives, one point each. Senators are five points each, and governors are ten points each. Oh, wow, okay. Okay, so Chris Christie is actually in the lead with the endorsements at 24 points because he has two governors that have endorsed him. Okay. Then in second place, we have Jeb Bush. This is for the Republican presidential candidates. Right. Uh, Second place is Jeb Bush with 18 points. Then Rand Paul with 13 points, and then Mike Huckabee's in fourth with 10 points, and everyone else is not substantial, and Donald Trump is not even on this list. <laughs> so then. And 538 really does, they calculate that endorsements are very important. Yes. Yeah. M- more so sometimes than money. Yes. Yeah. So, so what about the Democrats? Hillary Clinton is the only one that's listed. Right. And she has 264 points. Wow, really? Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, she has four governors, a lot of senators, and a lot of representatives. They're all little dots, so I can't count them right. None for Big Bad Bernie, huh? 
Not a one. Not on this chart huh. at 538. Wow. That is a bummer for him. Although, he is surging in popularity, drawing giant crowds. It's, yes. It's a good deal for Bernie Sanders. He has, he has uh, exceeded just about everyone's expectations, except for those diehard fans of Bernie Sanders who, who will say, I always knew he could. Anybody who has any depth of experience within politics, I think, would admit that they're pretty surprised at the tra- at the, the traction and how quickly he's gained traction uh, with his campaign. It's it's remarkable. I'm happy to see it. It's nice to see uh, new blood and uh, new tactics working. It's awesome. It really lets you know that it's a different time yeah. across the political landscape in this country. Right. So now the money. So Hillary Clinton's campaign has raised $47.5 million, more than any other campaign so far. And Bernie Sanders is in second with money raised at $15.2 million. Not bad. And Ted Cruz is at $14.3 million. Ted Cruz? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> is that interesting? Why did you make them? Hmm. Well, I just I thought you were going down the list of Democrats first. Oh, no. It's just in order of who has the most money, who's raised the most money oh, for their really? campaign. Oh, really? Okay. Right. Ted Cruz is third? Yes, but this is not including the money from outside groups. Oh, like super PACs. Right. This so, is just campaign funds. Right. So total raised by campaigns and outside groups. Jeb Bush, number one. Yes. By far, I bet. Yes. Yeah. Um, he has raised $114 million. <laughs> Right, right. Then you have Hillary Clinton with $63.1 million. Yeah, yeah. I, so those are the top two with money. Totally what I expected to. There's no nothing through other than the Bernie Sanders number that he has fifteen point two. Do they have another number for him other than his particular campaign dollar amount? Is there like a super PAC that he has got behind him? None. Yeah, he seems to be to me to be a guy who is really flying from individual donations, from labor unions, small money donations, not giant corporate money. He's that's where he's gonna have a hard time. If he really wants to gain momentum and pick up steam and be a legit legitimate contender for the presidency, is it's this money race. Well, that's what's interesting, actually. More than 80% of contributions to Bernie Sanders and Ben Carson's came from donations of $200 or less. Yeah. So he got up to that $15 million mark with a very small donation amount. Which is going to ingratiate him to that particular type of supporter... But it's not going to do well going forward when you're trying to mount a an effective campaign against the Clinton machine. And make no mistake, Hillary Clinton's campaign is a finely tuned machine. It'll be tough to beat. I just want to note as well, because this, this New York Times article, we're going to put this on the Facebook and Twitter page. This is a really great tool to see where the money is going and and. And so Donald Trump's campaign has spent $1.4 million so far, which is 74% of his campaign's money. <laughs> He's already spent right. almost yeah. 75% of his campaign's money. This is, is this a good sign? Yeah, but the thing is, is he's worth $10 billion if he wanted to completely fund his campaign out of his, out of his coffers, out of his own money, he could do so and not take a hit. I mean, Jeb Bush has raised with super PACs and everything, 114 million. I think you said. Yes. 
that's a drop in the if he's worth 10 billion that's just that's a tenth of one of his billions you know what i mean it's just it's not a lot of money right. for a guy with the enormous fortune that he has right so we will see i think it's interesting and things are going to start playing out very rapidly as time progresses toward the the election pew 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 pew, pew, pew. Interesting data from Pew about a dramatic shift in the demographic of this country going forward uh, that is getting ready to happen right now. So our population is becoming majority non-white at the same time a record share is going gray. Each of these shifts would by itself be the defining demographic story of its era. The fact that both are unfolding simultaneously has generated big generation gaps that will put stress on our politics, families, pocketbooks, entitlement programs, and social cohesion, according to Pew. Yeah. And by going gray, you mean you mean getting older. Right. Okay. Aging. <laughs> so this is another link we're going to post because they do a very visual article with yeah, us. Yeah. So in 1960, we started with an age pyramid. Just think of it in your head as an age pyramid where those that are ages zero to four are on the bottom and those ages 85 and older at the top. Right. So the older you get, the, the fewer of you and your generation there are. Right. But Pew is saying from 1960 to 2060, our pyramid will turn into a rectangle. We'll have almost as many Americans over the age of 85 as under age five. Oh, wow. This is the result of longer lifespans and lower birth rates. It's uncharted territory, not just for us, but for all of humanity. And while it's certainly good news over the long haul for the sustainability of Earth's resources, it will create political and economic stress in the shorter term, as smaller cohorts of working age adults will be hard pressed to finance the retirements of larger cohorts of older ones. Yeah, well, that's that's the difficult thing with the social security system that we have set in place right now that is kind of a Ponzi scheme that when Social Security first started in the Franklin Delano Roosevelt age of politics, they just created a program out of the blue and people were drawing from the program. So they were get, so the, the any subsequent generation that is receiving it is stealing from money they didn't put in. Right. So it's it's a difficult thing. And that's why we have such insolvency with our social security system right now that you've got, you know, 77 millions of one generation. These are num these are loose numbers. They're not hard, fast numbers. But let's say 77 million members in like the baby boom generation and their retirement is being funded and paid for by a, a generation that has like 44 million people in it. It's very difficult. So it's interesting what they see coming forward, going forward, what's going to be happening. Right. So Pew says at the same time, our population is going gray, aging. We're also becoming multicolored. In 1960, the population of the United States was 85% white. By 2060, it will be only 43% white. Wow. They say we were once a black and white country. Now we're a rainbow. Our intricate new racial tapestry is being woven by the more than 40 million immigrants who have arrived since 1965, about half of them Hispanics and nearly three in 10 Asian. That's very interesting. That also will go on the Facebook page. Like I said earlier, if you haven't gone and liked the Facebook page, join the growing number of people who are doing so 
we can have a conversation there. You can see these particular links that we share. Um, and it is a good time. Always a good time. So let's wrap it up with a little taking care of biz. Taking care of biz. So today for Taking Care of Biz, we have the staff at Melody Center for Childhood Cancers in Albany, New York, because there is a four-year-old patient there named Abby, and she is battling a form of leukemia that mostly affects children. She's been spending a lot of time at the hospital because she needs to, to... Yeah, the picture, she's she's losing her hair. I mean, she's she's a sick child. She's she's not in a good way. And I guess she's developed a, a relationship with one of these nurses, a, a male nurse. Right, named Matt Hickling. She has worked with him for so long over the course of her sickness that she developed somewhat of a crush on him. Yeah. And she decided that she wanted to marry him. As a four-year-old girl will do. Right. So she told her mom about these plans to marry him. And her mom decided to call him and told him a little bit about Abby's idea. And he was totally up for it and decided to plan it. Yeah. And so they walk in and there's like rose petals on the ground and she's in this little, little beautiful little girl dress in the hospital room. They come up to the altar. I'm going to sit right here with you. So we are gathered together today in the Melody Center to witness the marriage of Matt to Abby. <laughs> He's taking her little face mask off. Do you take me to be your husband? Yeah. It's all it's very sweet. Yeah, so they exchange ring pops. And they also had cake, and she put cake in his face, and um, they just had a nice little wedding celebration. It's super cute, and it made her day. And it's it's very sweet. I, there was a lot of vitriol and shittiness online that surfaced as a result of this. Well, people were saying it was like creepy or something. It's not creepy. It's a little kid who's going through a horrible event that they, in, in a perfect world, wouldn't have to face a tragic illness like leukemia and a four-year-old and it's what little kids do i'm gonna marry my mom i'm gonna marry my dad they have no concept of marriage he's four years old right it's just that you know that you like this person yeah in whatever way that you know about that he's kind to her right she doesn't know what goes on with mommy and daddy it's (laughs) right anyway it's a he's taking care of biz it's Going the extra mile to make a patient who's going through a horrific treatment feel good. Right. It's awesome. So thank you to Matt Hickling and the team over at Melody Center for Childhood Cancers in Albany, New York. Awesome. With that, we are going to leave you. If you would like to support the show in other ways than listening twice a week, 
we would appreciate it. You can go to dollamore.com, and on the left-hand side of the page, there is an Amazon link to get through to Amazon to buy all the products that you would buy. If you're going to spend your money anyway, you might as well help support your favorite show filled with news, news. and ridiculous comment. As mentioned earlier during the mid-roll, you can visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We would love your support in that way, too. Until next time, we love you and we appreciate you so much. Get in touch with us, 657-464-7609. We want to hear from you. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Here's a funny little pill. You should take this. Zaba dooba zaba.